Hello and welcome to the Iowa Basketball Coaches Association podcast. I'm your host, Derek Dangler. Before we start, I just want to encourage those of you who coach in the state of Iowa to join the IBCA this season. As a member, in addition to a $2 million insurance policy for your staff, you'll also get access to our Coaches Corner and Lucio Whiteboard. Your team will become eligible for either all region or all state awards and much more. If you're interested, go to our website's link, which should be included in the description below if you have any questions or need more information. All right, let's get to the show. Coaches, welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm excited to have my colleague, fellow basketball coach on the girls' side here at Montezuma, Janelle Burgess. Coach, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to just be able to share and hang out with you, Coach, just a little bit more than we normally do. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Let's jump right into the questions. First question, what is your best basketball-related skill? If somebody was coming to challenge you to whatever the skill might be, what would you want them to challenge you to? Oh, it's definitely the up and under, the old up and under move, the step-through move from good old six-on-six -six basketball. Um, just being able to jump stop and look at your defender and say, oh, I'll see you later, especially going to my left. Love my left hand. This might lead into our next question, but I feel like a post-move type of answer like that is, is a good strategy now. I don't feel like that's quite as emphasized as it once was. No doubt. Kids are like, what is an up and under move? The post, the post action is definitely not utilized nearly as much as it used to be. Oh, no, no crossover or anything like that. Up and under. Get on the block. All right. You got next, it. next question. Uh, like I said, leading in there into this question. Uh, how has basketball changed since your days as a player? And what do you miss most about maybe what it was like as a player? And then what have you enjoyed uh, that's maybe something different from those days? You know, I think as a player, there's a couple things that I've missed, you know, that that perhaps as a coach, you don't get to experience as much. And I think that's just the, the team time that you have as you're, as you're working and, and putting in all those hours on the court. Um, I think the game that I miss the most, and I'm one of the few that are still remaining that can say that they've played it in the sense of coaching it, coaching uh, and, and formerly playing six-on-six -six basketball. I just miss the game of six-on-six. -six. I think it brought so much prestige to our state and just the overall fluency of that game. I think we missed that a lot. I think that even, you know, the state tournament is so much different than what it was. I mean, when we played six on six in the state tournament, that place was packed. Um, so just the game of three on three and three on three and just seeing the ball move and, and scoring 100 plus points um, with ease in some capacity is something I truly miss about the game. Oh, that's fantastic, Coach. Obviously, we uh, both work here in Montezuma and our, our community has some great pride in that part of the game. Um, so that's great to hear you being a big part of that. Uh, what's something you've enjoyed maybe as basketball has sort of evolved over time since your day as a player and specifically five on five. So not just maybe the jump from six on six to five on five. You know, I just think the game of six on or the game of five on five and just girls basketball overall has got so much more notoriety than it did back in my high school days. You can now turn on the TV and you see college women playing competitively all the time. You see the WNBA um, going on. You see women having role models that are now, you know, women opposed to always having to watch the men's game. And so I just think it's cool. You can also, you know, be able to turn on ESPN and they'll have highlights from girls basketball and women's basketball. I can remember in college when, when we would be on the ticker and you would just see women's basketball and then you'd see Iowa State and oh my gosh, we had a win. Or even when we got beat, you were so excited to see your name on ESPN. And nowadays women can see, you know, other 
other athletes that are females, whatever sport it might be, are broadcast on ESPN and local news and all that. It's just something different that has changed um, and has drastically improved the game um, for women. Awesome. Fantastic answer, Coach. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the pod is I really have enjoyed hearing about your journey from a player to coaching here at Montezuma, and I was hoping you could share that with everyone listening today. You know, I'm one of those rare birds. It's from a small town in Iowa. Um, got a great opportunity to play high school athletics and then took me into college. Um, graduated here from Montezuma and have great pride in, in saying that I was a brave vet and that I got to play here for two years. My school closed at the end of my sophomore year because we had limited numbers and therefore I had to train schools in midway in my high school career, but came to Montezuma and, and just had a great experience, great coaches, great teammates. Um, and this community is just great. Um, and that, that gave me the opportunity to go play at Iowa State collegiately. And I know I'm one of those rare people that got that opportunity and had a tremendous career there, developed friendships, most importantly, um, you know, just learned how precious the game was and how many opportunities I was given that I wouldn't have had coming from small town um, Montezuma and just being a regular college student. Um, so went to college, played athletics and, and got my degree in education, thought I would always teach and, and go back to the farm and be a coach at that point in time. But the good Lord had a different mission when they put me in the student teaching world. And uh, I had first graders completely control my life. And I thought there was no way I can teach. <laughs> um, and so I quickly changed my aspirations in my fifth year of college and uh, got in touch with Coach Finley and said, Coach, I think I need to be in college athletics for a while and just be a college coach. And so that catapulted me into uh, 16 years of being a college coach in, in a variety of different locations, um, from Division One at Michigan State to Division Two head coach at Grand Valley State. And eventually it came to the point in time where my husband and I had two great kids and we looked at each other and thought we need to change our pace. And uh, we decided to return to Iowa where I was raised. And um, I'm fortunate to now be back here at Montezuma. And I'm now teaching um, and coaching um, a variety of different kids and coaching and variety of different sports and truly enjoying it. Um, can honestly tell you, I don't know if our life has slowed down, but I am home every night to see my kids and to see my husband um, and just truly appreciate the fact that, you know, I've kind of been one of those people that went full circle, started at Montezuma, and now I'm ending um, as a coach here at Montezuma as well. It's just pretty cool. That is very cool, Coach. I really love that story. I feel like it's very sort of unique somewhat to the Midwest and just fantastic. So obviously, I've coached at multiple levels. Who are some of your biggest influences on the coaching side? You know, I think you look at my high school coach that I had here at Montezuma was huge. Greg Criswell, who coached many years, just retired um, actually last year from coaching. Um, just had a great impact on me on how to utilize your players the best that you can at the high school level um, and being able to really make sure every player knows their role. Uh, he did a tremendous job with us for two years. Um, came into, I came in as a player that, you know, I had skill, there was no doubt, but I also had teammates that embraced who I was. And I think that's important as coaches is to make sure that your players all know their roles. And if your best player needs to see the ball, she has to touch the ball or he has to touch the ball. And the whole team has to be okay with that. And I think in this day and age, parents have to be okay with it as well. So being able to have that strong uh, belief that we're doing it the right way, everyone believes it's going to help your uh, program grow. So he definitely implemented that um, to me as a young player. Um, I was very fortunate to play for Coach Finley at Iowa State. Can't say enough great things about him. I looked at him as a father figure. I have a tremendous father um, who is still alive, and I'm blessed to have that. But he just really did that, had that role for me as a college athlete, and I think that's huge. Um, was a tremendous coach, taught me how to prepare, taught, taught me the value of just 
you know, continuing to impl implement, uh, implement my work ethic and understand that we were really bad when I went to Iowa State. And to, he taught us how to succeed, win, believe in it when no one else did, and just be able to, you know, have some pretty cool experiences at Iowa State that he led us to. Um, and then I was fortunate to be hired by Joanne P. McCauley, who just um, retired from Duke this past year. She uh, took me to Maine and then to Michigan State with her. And she just taught me the value of culture. I truly believe that, um, how important it is to, you know, talk to your kids, not just about basketball, but making sure they're great people, great, great kids, and that they're ready to go on and be women that are going to be leaders throughout, the, uh, throughout their lives. So I think if you look, those are three people, um, you know, that impacted my career. But I think I look at Montezuma and I have so many people that helped me be who I am here from Coach Ravenall to even yourself, Coach Dingler, to Coach K, to all the people that I surround myself with daily. I mean, these people help me as well. Awesome. Well, it's such tremendous experience, Coach. Um, so you're coaching Division II basketball, um, decide to make the move for your family back to the state, and then eventually get hired here um, as the high school girls coach. Uh, maybe jump into what was that transition like uh, from a basketball coaching perspective? You know, I think everybody's like, oh my gosh, you coach college athletics. Boy, it had to be a drastic change for you to come to high school athletics. And I always tell them, no, it really wasn't. You're still coaching the game of basketball. Do you have a different skill set? Yes. Do your expectations change? No. Um, and I was fortunate. And I am fortunate. Montezuma has some gifted kids right now. Um, Shatia Wettering, a player first year at Iowa. She just graduated last year. Um, we have our, uh, Riley Gadden, who's playing at Central. Um, graduated a couple of years ago. And just some really other good kids that came along. Um, not came along, were here when I actually um, took the job. So in that sense, I'm fortunate, but I still believe all of us know that coaching basketball is about developing relationships, knowing exactly what you want to teach, how you want to teach it, have conviction while you teach it, and just enjoy the relationships that you have with these kids. And, you know, that's something that didn't change. I'll be honest, my system that I run here is very similar to what we ran at Grand Valley State in the sense of defense and offense and all that great stuff. Um, and I just believe that it, it's been smooth, it's been awesome, and I'm very thankful that I was at many different levels leading me to this, because the one thing I do know is I have, my, I have my, uh, my program expectations in my head. I know what we need to do, I know how we need to do it, and it's just simply you know, transitioning every year to a new group of kids and making sure that program is consistent from year to year. Yeah, let's talk about those expectations and maybe your culture a little bit. I know for myself, uh, watching you take over the program, having been at the school for a little while, you mentioned it earlier in your coaching influences, just the importance of culture. So as you're starting a program and maybe even advice for new coaches who are taking over a program, what were some of the first steps you took to build the culture and expectations that you want? You know, I, I have a, a, an author that I truly love, and I think all of us have someone that's probably implemented a, 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 a culture or a, a philosophy in your life. Joanne was one person that was huge, Joanne P. McCauley, but John Gordon, a, an author who's wrote The Energy Bus and a variety of other books that um, I've read, and I pass them on to anybody, everybody would like to read them. Um, but his, his philosophy is you have to have a positive outlook, your energy has to be moving in a forward motion at all times. And you can't allow the negative environment to be fostered within your program, within your family, within your classroom, whatever it might be. So, you know, our biggest thing is, you know, we are the, right, uh, we are the drivers of our own bus and our energy bus is gonna be full of passengers that want to enjoy 
what we're doing, how we're doing it, and we're all going to be bought in to be the best that we can be. And as we go through each and every day, we're going to have the moments where you might pick up your phone and you're going to have something negative pop up that you've got to be able to kind of repel or, or you know, deflect that negative vampire, that energy vampire that might be trying to consume you. And we have to just make sure that we are enjoying what we're doing. And that's one thing when I walked in, I told the kids the first meeting I had, we're going to enjoy what we're going to do. We are going to work our tails off. There will not hopefully be too many other 1A schools that work any harder than us. And we're going to prove that we know what we're doing. We do it as a family. We do it as hard as we can um, and enjoy it. And I think at the end of the day, if you can have that as an expectation, enjoy what you do, you better play hard, you better play smart, and you have to play as a family in order to be successful. Um, that's really what we based our uh, program over on for the last four years. Absolutely. Um, that's a really great answer, Coach. Again, for me to be able to see some of that up close and personal has been really influential for myself as a coach. Um, what are some of the things that you feel like you try to do day to day or, or consistently throughout the season to keep reiterating that positive message, that message of family to the team? You know, first of all, we do a quirky little thing every single day. We talk about three positives from our day. So three kids have to talk about three great things that they've experienced. And, you know, it's kind of the joke now. Elise Bolton will be the first one every day to give us our positive. Um, and then we just have other kids just be able to reflect about something that's been good in their life. I think so often our society is based on all this negative garbage. And for our kids to be able to think, hey, you know what? There's something good that's happened in my day. And I'm going to start my practice off like that. Um, so we get together as a group. We, don't, we, we do not even shoot a basketball until we do our positives. Um, and then I think we really focus on giving positive touches throughout practice. If it's a, you know, this year might be a little different because we're in COVID action here, um, but it might be a little elbow, elbow acknowledgement or it might even just be, hey, great pass. Thanks for passing the ball. Um, being able to pick each other up or if something wrong happened, I mean, I have four tremendous leaders this season, just much like you coach, you got some tremendous leaders as well. Um, but just being able to rely on them to understand, hey, you set the tone, you must be positive, you have to work hard and um, let that, you know, kind of trickle on down to all our little puppies in the freshman class. But I mean, I think overall, um, we try to, you know, make sure that everyone's coached as well. I think sometimes we forget that we have you know, 20, 25 kids that we have to coach on a daily basis. And there's many times that my staff members or myself, we try to pull over some of those kids that might be on the scout team and say, hey, you just did a great job. Or, hey, do you see this? And try to help them grow. And I think ultimately this year, we're going to see that benefit us the most in the sense that we have some seniors that did some great scout things for us last year, and they're going to play and play quality minutes for us. Yeah, those um, positives every day, I don't think anything could be more relevant now than having that message and, and trying to get kids to see that. And that's such a simple thing that I think is really good to start practice with every day to build that culture. How about in the off season though, coach, when you don't have the girls in the gym every day, what are some of the things you feel like you've tried to do um, to keep building and growing that culture? You know, I'm fortunate. I work in the building that I coach in. Not everyone will have that opportunity. Um, but I love to just be able to walk through the hallways, you know, if it's in between classes or if it's at my lunch hour and just connect with those kids that I aren't, I'm not able to see right now because I'm not coaching them. Um, also attending activities that kids are participating in, even when you're not coaching and being able to tell them, you know, in a text message or a snap in this day and age, hey, I really loved watching you lead tonight. I saw it when it got difficult, how you picked the teammates up and you helped them on the volleyball court last night. 
or tonight. Um, just being able to make sure that those kids understand that you're watching and you're supporting them and all that they're doing and not just thinking that basketball is the only thing that you care about them with. Um, the other thing, we have, a, we have a team Snapchat, and obviously you have to be very careful with that. Um, but I'll tell the kids good luck before they start an activity. Like when cross country and volleyball started this fall, I made sure that I sent a message to them and said, hey, ladies, good luck as you, you know, start your fall journey of athletics. Enjoy it. Be the best that you can be. And, and, and you know, just represent us all. We're proud of you. Um, so I think there's many ways you can connect with kids, even when you're not coaching on the court. Absolutely. Um, and I, I've seen some of that ways that you've been able to seek out that positive behavior and really enforce that. And I think that's just so important and you do such a great job building relationships. How do you feel like you maintain that culture even when you have to maybe correct somebody? Maybe you've had a kid, whether it's a poor decision on the court, a poor decision that affects the team. How do you approach those situations where for some of us it's a little bit more difficult to be positive? Well, I think, you know, being positive is being real as well and being transparent and understanding that it's not a bunch of fluff. You have times where you have to put kids in place. In your building of relationships prior to the time where you got to be the, you know, the, the bad, the, the tough one on those kids that need it will really take care of the moment where you have to really get on them. I think sometimes we forget that kids want to be ridden a little bit. They want to be challenged. They want to make sure that they're doing things correct and us correcting them or having constructive, constructive criticism is something that kids are okay with as long as they know that you care about them and that you have their best interest in mind. So if we've done our work before and make sure that they understand that, hey, I'm in this fight with you, but this is not what I like to see from you and I know you can do better. Sometimes it's delivery like that and sometimes it's being point blank and saying, hey, you gotta do this better and, and that's it. There's no questions asked. You either change or you get to sit on the bench with me for a little bit longer. I really like that quote of just being transparent, just being direct. And if you have that relationship, you know, most of the time the kid is going to understand. Um, so, Coach, you mentioned a little bit earlier when we were talking about coaching influences and, and the jump from um, college to high school, about maybe the parent involvement is just a little bit different. Uh, I kind of would like you to speak to a little bit of how in your culture you've involved parents. You know, I think parents, are they're, they're tricky in this day and age. I'm a parent now of a teenage kid too and I have a young man that's in athletics um, so you know I can start to see both sides of the fence better than I could a few years ago um, I think as coaches though we have to be very very black and white with what we expect out of our parents um, I'm fortunate I walked into parents that were willing to be led and I think as coaches we have to lead our parents the way we want them to act from your first parent meeting which you should all have one at the very beginning of the season um, to even throughout the year. I mean, I send an email and coach, you do a great job with this too, sending an email every week to the parents so they know what their, their own kid is doing, what our expectations, what time we need them, where we need them, what we might need out of the parents. So that's sent in a weekly email. But I think our parent meeting at the beginning of the year is the most important thing. My first year, I put together a slideshow and I talked about what our team would do. We will play this way. We will, you know, show our abilities to be smart we will show our abilities to be a family and then believe it or not I told my parents this is how you play hard as a parent you are in the stands every single night you are being positive in the stands you don't talk about someone else in the stands and all that and I really was very 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 transparent with what I wanted my how I wanted our parents to respond um, in the sense of dealing with parents who have conflict you always I truly believe in the 24-hour rule 
if they have an issue with something that's went on during the game or even during a practice or whatnot. Um, I don't talk to parents until A, we've had some time to cool off, B, the kid, the student athlete needs to be with us as we go through a parent meeting to make sure that we're all on the same page. And parents are tricky, but I just truly believe if we're honest and we communicate with them the best we can, we're going to be able to uh, get along much better. Yeah, I can say I know I've stolen some of your really simple but really good ideas of just opening up some of that communication with parents. And I think I've seen you do a great job of um, maybe changing that transition from, I think it's easy for some coaches to think, you know, parents are sort of adversaries, but really that idea, like you said, we're all on the same bus going in the same direction and, and we kind of need everybody there. Um, do you feel like coach, you've come back to a community that you, you graduated high school here, that that's been helpful in those relationships with parents, or has that been something that's maybe been a little bit unique? How would you describe that piece of your coaching experience here? You know, you got to always watch whenever you're walking into a community, A, that you might know people, or even when you don't know people, just making sure, you know, you got to be very cautious as you make your first steps. Um, I've had a great experience returning back home. I'm now coaching kids that I, kids or parents' children that I actually played basketball with here. Um, so that's unique. Um, and I'm also, you know, now seeing some kids start to come up that, my God, they were like 10 years younger than I and their parents were. But um, I'm blessed. I'm fortunate in that sense, to be able to have, uh, you know, limited challenges when it comes to parent involvement. I've still had my parent meetings. Don't kid yourself. Um, and our parent meetings are very, very um, straightforward. And you don't really give them any fluff. You tell them what they need to hear, maybe not what they want to hear, but what parents need to hear. And just, you know, be able to be honest with them and say, I, I care about your kid, but this is what needs to change in order for what you want to occur. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's been difficult at all. I just think you have to always have some of those tough, tough meetings and they stink. Absolutely coach. But I, I just want to reemphasize for myself being able to watch that, uh, and your interactions with your team and parents has been really good. And I, I think a lot of us talk about culture, um, and trying to do it the right way, but I know for me watching here, uh, it's really been awesome to see and learn from yourself. Uh, but let's switch topics a little bit. Um, Culture is one thing, uh, it translates onto the floor. And the other thing I've watched, I've really enjoyed watching you guys is your half court offense uh, and kind of the change that's occurred with our girls team since you've taken over. Maybe we could just open it up generally. What's sort of your basic philosophy uh, for building a half court offense? Well, I think you got, you got skills that you have to be able to do. If you cannot dribble the ball and you cannot go make a layup or try to go through contact, you're going to be struggling um, no matter what level you're at. Um, so believe it or not, I mean, like philosophy offensive wise, I mean, we, we work on different types of finishes at the rim, going off the bounce every single day. And then the biggest thing I think you always have to do, and we cannot win a game if we don't do this, that is shoot the ball well. And I'm fortunate. I have kids that have been makers, not just shot takers. Um, but we shoot the ball a lot in practice because I think us coaches get so wrapped up in thinking, oh, we got to do this X's and O's. We got to have this and we got to do this. But let's be honest, if we can't make a three, if we can't make a pull-up J, if we can't make a layup, we're not going to win a lot of games. So, I mean, our first 20 to 30 minutes is fundamentals, skill development with ball handling, shooting, and making sure the shots that you're taking are shots that you will take in a game. And so I think philosophy-wise, we're all going to have our own offense that we want to run, that we like to run, that fits our team the best. But do you have the skills developed 
that you need to have in place to just be successful? Can you make a layup? Do you know when to go for a power layup? When you need to go for a floater, do you know when to use the pull-up J? And can you hit the open three? If you can't do those on a day-to-day -day basis, winning is gonna be much harder than it would be any other day. Um, so those are just offensive philosophies um, that we try to emphasize. And I think our kids would say, we, we, we like to shoot the ball and we like to shoot it well. And a lot of that also comes from passing. So a lot of times when we're in our shooting drills, we have our own passers that are making those passes so that we can understand the value of being a great teammate and a great passer as well. So skills, obviously the most important part in developing shooters. Uh, you talked a little bit about making sure that those shots they take in practice are most often the shots they're gonna take in a game. What kind of shots are you trying to get in a game? So our first shot that we want is a transition three. I hate to say that, but it's honestly the truth. Um, and we really changed our practices two years ago, my second year here, and was like, well, we like them to shoot the transition three, but you never practice it in a game, or in a you never practice it in practice. So now we, I mean, we do kick ahead threes. We do penetrate, jump stop at the free throw line, and then you kick it back out for the three on the wing. Um, so those are ones that we've implemented much more. Transition threes would be our top shot that we probably like almost too much sometimes, but that's okay. I, I smile sometimes when we shoot early. Goes from um, program to program here, coach. <laughs> it does. I think, you know, I think I learned that from you, coach. <laughs> Let the three fly, baby. Let her fly um, from the good old Hoosiers movie. Um, but, you know, I think the other one, the other threes that we practice and, and teams get onto a little bit, but even if you penetrate baseline, always making sure there's somebody opposite of that baseline, the opposite baseline is filled because that three is open quite a bit. Um, the other three that, you know, we, we work on and our post players are getting, this should be the year that'll be kind of fun. I hope we have some posties that can hit some threes from the trail spot, um, but all of our kids can shoot it. So we shoot it from the trail spot or the slots. Some people call it the slots um, more so than maybe some teams with all players. Um, and then I think the other, sh you know, the other shot that we, we like in the first year I was here, I was like, dear God, the one thing we have to learn is how to throw a skip pass so we can make a skip pass three because so many times defenses suck it sunk in and we have to have the strength as a woman to be able to throw the skip pass, but we also have to be ready to shoot the skip pass. So we definitely um, do a lot of skip threes in our program as well. So coach, you get into the half court, um, you don't have those transition opportunities or maybe quick drive kicks, whatever it might be. Uh, what are you guys flowing into? We're going to go into the old Euro. So that's the ball screen offense um, where it's a post player setting a ball screen for the guard. And then you have what we always call is the heavy side. So you have the overload with two guards, baseline and wing, and then you have a post player coming up the opposite trail. Um, so we utilize the ball screen quite a lot, quite, quite, well, maybe we use it a lot. Let's put it that way. Um, and we probably are going to be tested on that this year. I really honestly thought I would change my offense this year, knowing that I had personnel change. But as we went through the summer and ended playing a little bit, I was like, you know what? These kids know this. They know how to attack a ball screen. They know how to use a ball screen. I'd be silly to change it. Um, so we use the old Euro offense. And then I do have a lot of set plays that we'll you know, implement as the season progresses because I believe there's times in a game you can't rely on a motion offense because you need a player to score or the ball needs to go here and they have to know how to get it there. Absolutely, coach. Um, so you've taught the girls, you know, we've emphasized the skills and the three-point shot and whatever we need to in practice. You're getting into the offense and now they're making decisions off of that screen. Um, and and uh, like you said, typically it's going to be a screen into the wing with the post setting it for the guard. 
Uh, how are you teaching the progressions or the reads that those girls are making coming off the screen with the ball? You know, I think the first thing we have to do is we always have to talk to our post player about, post player about setting an effective ball screen. So many times they will run to the person that has the ball in their hands, and that's not what we're doing. We actually make our kids make a check mark, so they're going to go actually hit the elbow, supposed to. Now, don't, don't grade me on this if you watch us, but supposed to hit the elbow and then go at a very, very flat angle, more so than the old parallel angle that we used to go to, but a flat angle for that ball screen. The other thing that we work on then is our ball handlers being able to make sure you're low. You have to be below the free throw line because you can't be high or you're going to have nowhere to operate. Um, and just being able to, if you have to, dribble down to the baseline, working on your ball handling, crossover or between your legs, and then come back and go hard down. You have to be a downhill attacker off of a ball screen. You can't be trying to attack to the half court line or we won't be very successful. Um. Where's the spacing of your other girls on the floor uh, once that girl comes off the ball screen? I mean, we really have, if you think about it, the ball screen's occurring below the free throw line on the left side. So on the right side, if you're looking at the hoop, you have your post player on the lane line coming up to the three-point line on the right side. Then you have a three-point shooter sitting on the free throw line extended on the right wing. And then the baseline is your other kid that's occupying that last space. So as they're operating and they have options, you either have the role for the post player that set it, you might have a pull-up J, but a lot of times you're going to get those defenders on that, what's now becoming strong side pulling, and you might have a few opportunities there for threes or even that post player being able to be ready to reverse the ball into your second ball screen. Uh, so if we don't get the role, we don't get an easy jump shot off there, uh, we skip it or we throw it somewhere else, what are the girls reacting to off that pass? Maybe they don't have a shot available right away. Correct. So then what you're going to see is we're going to always operate. Then the guard, there's two guards on that side that the ball just went to. That guard's got to cut through. One of the guards has got to cut through because we're only going to operate with one guard and one post 90% of the time with the ball on one side of the floor. So as the ball screener makes the decision and kicks it, that post player that was at the lane line that did not set the screen, she's now becoming the second screener, and we're going into a ball screen with a guard, whomever might have it on the right side, and then we go to the same action. As soon as that happens, we have that opposite post player that set the screen is now coming up that lane line and being able to be able to be a good reverser, and then we have two guards on the left side now on the heavy side. I mean, you're seeing a lot of teams about 10 years ago, five years ago, my God, I'm getting old, um, that we're using this offense relatively effectively. And it just creates movement. I'll, I won't lie. Sometimes if we can just get into two or three uh, ball screens, my God, we'll find a layup somewhere just because everybody's tired of playing ball screens. Absolutely. Um, and you talked about, you know, you're going to get into your set plays, but that's one area I've been really impressed is your set plays so consistently come off that same action um, all the time and do a great job of setting up the girls for success. But what is your practice progression like from sort of, you don't have to take me through day by day, but your practice progression to be able to build that continuity uh, in the half court offense where the girls get really comfortable with those decisions and then you're able to be effective in your set plays? You know, I think you, first of all, you just work on it as a one-on-one -on -one skill. I mean, we talk to our kids a lot of times, you have a screener with you. Can you play phantom basketball and can you understand you have to attack? Maybe it's a retreat on your ball screen and going. So just working off the skills that they would normally use in a live, maybe five on five situation, but it's one on zero. 
So that's some of our fundamentals that we work on every day. I attack, I reattack, and I go in for my layup. I go in for my stretch layup on the opposite side of which I came from. Um, then we're going to build it. We do a lot of two on O stuff. So just working with that screener and that ball handler and being able to understand, here's my reads. Ball screener, you have a layup. You have a pull-up day. You hit your roller. Your roller pops so that she can hit the three. Or you have a situation where, um, to where the, the screener then has to be the reverser. So there's just so many different things. If you can think about being able to teach the kids how to use a ball screen, what are your skills you want there? This offense can flow, but they have to be able to know that. Absolutely. Well, Coach, we're running a little bit low on time. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about um, everything that you have today. Is there anything else you'd like to share uh, before we end the show? You know, I just think as, as coaches, and, and no matter what level we're at, we have such a privilege of impacting kids. I mean, think about it. Our superintendent, our new superintendent just talked about this last week. Can you be that coach, or not last week, a couple weeks ago, can you be that coach that the kids can remember when they graduate, that you made an impact? Because coaches, we're here to love on our kids in the appropriate ways, to care about them, to help them be the best that they can be. And it's not about necessarily the, the X's and O's or even the wins and the losses. It's about how you define success and just understanding success comes in so many shapes and shapes in the world of athletics. But by God, enjoy what you do, impact kids and be that coach that someone can come to in any situation and can think, wow, you truly did make an impact in my life as my high school coach in whatever sport you might be in. Well, great parting words, coach. Thanks again for your time. Um, and I look forward to speaking to you like in a few minutes when we see each other. Okay. <laughs> Amen. I am blessed, Coach. I love having you around and all the other people. But thanks for having me on. And everybody, enjoy your next season. And, and understand as we've gone through COVID, it's sure a privilege to be able to coach kids. Absolutely. Thanks, Coach. Thank you. Thanks for listening. As always, if you guys enjoyed the show, go ahead and try and give us a rating wherever you listen to the podcast at. I think it'll help boost us up and get, make us available for others to listen. And then please share with anybody who you think might be interested as well. Uh, once again, thank you for joining us today.